This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. I'm Caleb Brown. The push for an American-style central bank digital currency continues, but not without new vocal opposition from some Republican candidates for the White House. States are now making note of the possibility of a programmable currency in their uniform commercial codes. Cato's Nick Anthony provides an update. Careful listeners of the Cato Daily Podcast will no doubt be aware of central bank digital currencies and the fact that our friend Nicholas Anthony has been tracking CBDCs for a few years now. And so if you don't mind, for listeners that are new to the Cato Daily Podcast, welcome, first of all. But tell them, what is a CBDC? What does it empower? What does it prevent? And why is it a such a fundamentally different thing than for example, a U.S. dollar? At just the base level, a central bank digital currency, or a CBDC, is a national digital currency. And like cash, that would be a direct liability of the Federal Reserve, our central bank, but it is not the digital equivalent of cash. It is fundamentally different because it establishes a direct connection between you as a citizen and the federal government. It establishes that direct connection which removes the privacy we experience with cash and also removes the finality that we experience with cash because someone is observing the transaction and someone can undo it. And I often come on this show and and talk about in my work here at the Cato Institute that we do not have financial privacy in the traditional system because so many of our transactions are reported for being over $10,000 or for being suspicious or the like. But the difference here in terms of privacy is that by having that direct connection between you and the state, your information is with the government by default. It's no longer the the reports that get passed through the banking system or when the government comes knocking on the bank's door and has to go through these different compliance checks. It's now there by default. And by having this wealth of data, it opens the door to new controls and new restrictions on our financial freedom by being able to act on all of those resources, like through programming certain uh, transactions, by restricting certain transactions, by pulling money out of your account or putting it in under different circumstances. It really opens up this Pandora's box in the world of money and finance. And so it opens up this huge spread of problems, and yet it doesn't present benefits to offset any of those. For those who have followed closely, as you have, Nick, the movement of opinion around a central bank digital currency, we should note that according to polling, the more people learn about CBDCs, the less they like them. And that is potentially a good thing for people who would like to prevent this kind of top-down management of money from becoming a reality in the United States. Where are the candidates for president on CBDCs? And, and, And we should also know, to what extent has opinion moved at all among members of Congress? Well, it's really interesting to see 
as someone who's watched previous election campaigns, kind of shouting at the screen, wishing they would talk about things like the Federal Reserve and financial regulation and the like, it's really interesting to see CBDCs become a campaign issue. It mostly started with Vivek Ramaswamy saying every Republican candidate should have a position on CBDCs, and that position should be no. And since then, we've seen this rise of objection from Vivek Ramaswamy to Ron DeSantis to even RFK Jr. And the latest to join this chorus has even been Donald Trump, which makes sense when you think about it, considering he credited Vivek Ramaswamy for giving him that insight into why this is such a problem and why it presents a danger to Americans' freedoms. And in the same way, we're seeing it come up across Congress as well as both in the House and in the Senate, more and more members are objecting to what's a, a very what presents a very serious risk to both our privacy, our freedom, and the stability of our markets. On the Democratic side, of course, the field is fairly narrow for president, to put it mildly. But to the extent that Joe Biden or people in his administration have made public statements about CBDCs, what have they been? Largely silent. As of late, they've been silent on the issue, but that hasn't always been the case. In 2022, President Biden issued an executive order to place, quote, the highest urgency on developing and researching a central bank digital currency. He wanted the Federal Reserve to push forward for the Treasury to coordinate efforts across the board. He even brought on former vice chair of the Federal Reserve, uh, Lael Brainerd, to join him as a top economic advisor. And that's of note because for probably six years, she was the leading proponent of CBDCs at the Federal Reserve. Yet then in November, when she was asked for comment, the White House officially said she has no position, no position at all on CBDCs, which made me scratch my head a little because of that history. And that's when it seemed to come into view that the Biden administration had largely been silent since they kicked off the campaign. And it makes sense, given both on the, the Republican side for the presidential candidacy on uh, in Congress and with the general public, you're seeing this uh, negative view towards CBDCs get larger and larger and larger. However, unfortunately, we shouldn't take silence as meaning they agree with that. It's certainly a recognition of the fraught politics of trying to advance a new currency. It is new. It is fundamentally different from U.S. dollars as we have experienced them through our lives. It is something that is programmable. It can be directed to not be spent on X, Y, or Z. And the countries that have rolled out CBDCs thus far have found themselves with some pretty substantial problems. To say the least, it's no matter where you go, for folks that aren't familiar on the international scene, you can look at the Human Rights Foundation's CBDC tracker and see it's really, in the worst case scenario, a disaster disaster. 
And in the best case scenario, a waste of money and resources, no matter where you look across the world. And so that's why, I mean, Victoria, Guida, and Politico said it well when she observed that the topic has become politically toxic and for good reason. It's something that should not be pushed forward uh, across the board. You have all these reasons that it is a bad idea. And unfortunately, uh, some just cannot be dissuaded. States have not stood still as this debate has occurred at the federal level, because of course the feds would be uh, rolling this out or not rolling this out. States have been updating their commercial codes to do what? To accommodate CBDCs or to make sort of hand-wavy gestures about not approving of the use of CBDCs? There's been a pretty wide range of responses. You're absolutely right that we've seen states enter this conversation, and it's through the, the UCC or Uniform Commercial Code. And the mix of responses has kind of been on the lighter side. Many have said, we do not support a CBDC. We do not support the creation of one. We don't want to see one used. So taking that sort of like what you would see in Congress be a sense of Congress by stating this position, uh, even though it's not necessarily uh, legally binding. Then some have gone a step further where they have restricted what the state governments are able to do. So they've preemptively banned the state government from being able to collect taxes, issue fines, or the like in a CBDC if one were to be created. And then going another step forward, some states have weighed actually restricting citizens by making it illegal for citizens themselves to use a CBDC if one were created in the U.S. or using one of another country. So we've gotten a, a pretty broad range of issues, or rather a broad range of responses to the issue. Going forward, you know, the fact that there is a public outcry against something doesn't mean it. it's not going to happen, especially if it's a policy decision. And for CBDCs, I think you and others have characterized it sort of as a, a solution in search of a problem or a solution in search of a use case. But there's no reason to expect that the push will not continue, even, even with a public outcry against it. Sadly, I, I think you're spot on there. And that's really what we're seeing. For instance, leadership from the International Monetary Fund, or IMF, was telling governments last fall, we need to push forward. You need to brave these troubled waters and push forward. Nonetheless, you might hear objections, you might see problems or bumps in the road, but you still need to do this. We've seen that same chorus repeated by people from other organizations like the Bread and Woods Committee or the Bank for International Settlements. And that's why it is so important for people to get the word out there that this is happening, because if it's just a handful of people that are upset with this and point out the obvious flaws, they can brush past it. It's not until you have a, a chorus of objection that there's a real chance of stopping this. And even then, it is not a guarantee by any means. 
Nick Anthony is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.